Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, uh, before we get into our number 11 through 14 teams uh, in our preseason college football rankings, uh, I want to talk about some notable injuries, the injuries and retirements that we have in college football this season. And the first one is one that, you know, kind of hits a little close to home for, for me at least because he's someone that played at a high school that's really close to me and uh, one that I've been, in, even in my mind, considered uh, sending my future children to. And that, of course, is Miles Brennan, who played at State Stanislaus, uh, ended up playing at LSU. He's someone that I know Ole Miss went really hard to get. And he was someone that we all thought was going to eventually going to have a great career at LSU. Um, of course, he bided his time after Joe Burrow. But the first few games that he came out and started that next season, 2020, he played excellent. I mean, he was the only reason that really LSU was even in games where they had a very poor defense. Um, but then eventually he ended up having a, a strange, I think it was an oblique injury. And I think this injury was so uncommon that a lot of people even called it the Miles Brennan injury. And he never really seemed to to get his career back on track. And now we see that as a sixth year senior at LSU, he is retiring from football. Yeah, you really hate to see that. Um, had been hearing about uh, him as a prospect for years, going back to his high school days. Feel like um, he's been a guy that was, uh, you know, in recruiting news from like the age of fifteen to sixteen. And you're right; he was definitely on Ole Miss's radar. And then he goes to LSU, and you kind of thought, you know, each year it was just a matter of time before he took over. And at some point, you felt like he was going to come out there and have um, a great season. Um, but just unfortunately, we did not see it. Um, I remember uh, Brett Favre had a nephew, Dylan Favre, who also, I think, played at St. Stanislaus. And he um, wasn't as highly recruited, but he had some great numbers in high school. I think he spent some time at Mississippi State, but I don't think he ever quite um, was able to have the career that we had hoped for as well. Yeah, and, um, you know, something else about Brennan, too, is it just seemed like he was such a natural, like, fit in the days of NIL. I mean – Dude was super good looking. I feel like he could be, you know, he could be the model you'd have for being on commercials. And I know he probably, he was someone I thought was ultimately going to be a fan favorite. And, you know, maybe someone even like Trevor Knight that you could see, you know, someone like Katy Perry making like comments about. He, he was someone that just seemed like he had everything it took to be a star. And it's just, it's sad to see him retiring from football, not having the career that any of us expected he would have. Yeah, no, no, it really is. And, you know, you, you hate it for him and his family, you know, having worked so hard. And, uh, you know, you made a good point about him, uh, you know, waiting behind Joe Burrow and, you know, being patient. And, uh, yeah, definitely I uh, hate that that um, did not happen. And, I mean, I, I guess that you got to think this probably means that Jaden Daniels is going to end up being the starter at LSU this year. He's someone that, I mean, I, I've talked about it in the past. That whole class of quarterbacks you saw that came out four years ago, there were all these guys that had so much hype and really not a lot of them have lived up to it. I mean, it was Bo Nix, it was Sam Howell, it was Jaden Daniels, and they all had these moments where they flashed and they showed you something, but none of them have ever really been consistent. And now you're seeing two of them having transferred across the country. Jaden Daniels going from Arizona State to LSU now with his chance. Bo Nix going from Auburn where he was the legacy and, the, you know, the hero that was supposed to come in and bring Auburn football back. 
and now he's opted out and he's transferred to Oregon where he made his first big splash. And so it's interesting to see if, you know, maybe these two guys, neither one of them get it done either. Like Sam Howell that, you know, he had so much hype last year and then it was really just terrible for a lot of the season. And I think it's going to end up being if neither Bo Nix or Jaden Daniels have great seasons, just kind of like the, the class of uh, unfulfilled potential, really, of those quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, because you, you had some, some moments where you saw, you know, great things from, uh, from Nix, you know, and, and then with Daniels, I want to say his freshman year, they won a road game maybe like at Michigan or somewhere like that. And uh, it looks like that Arizona State was really on the ascent. But, yeah, you, you unfortunately has not uh, materialized. Interesting fact, Joe, uh, Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix kept that Oregon team out of playing uh, for the college football playoff. Um, you know, the 2019 Oregon team, of course, was the one that I was at there at the game with for Bo Nix's first game when Auburn won. But I think that that was such a tight, compelling game that, everyone could see how really good that Oregon team was that they were going to make the college football playoff again for most of the season. And then they lost to Arizona state and that's what really knocked them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, that's what did it. And so, you know, Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix were both parts of that. Um, but yeah, with miles Brennan though, just, uh, I, I heard that today and I really, it really upset me. I was, I was hoping that he was going to have one last chance to be the starting quarterback at LSU and, maybe just, you know, have one full good season. But it looks like we're never going to see that from it. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. And, Joe, uh, something that, you know, on that kind of transfer path, 60-year quarterback thing, uh, I'm really interested to see this year how many USC starting quarterbacks there are across the country. So, of course, there's going to be one that's playing at USC, but we're looking at opening night, Thursday night, when you have the great return of the backyard brawl between Pittsburgh and West Virginia. Both of them are going to be former USC starting quarterbacks with JT Daniels playing for his third different team where he's the starting quarterback for West Virginia and for uh, Pittsburgh, Keaton Slovis. And then if Jackson Dart becomes the starter at Ole Miss, that's three. And then, of course, you know, Caleb Williams at the USC, that'll be four. It's also possible, Joe, that I've heard that Jack Sears of Boise State is pushing Hank Bachmeyer. You could have five USC starting quarterbacks across the country this college football season. That's just unbelievable to think about. I'd forgotten about JT Daniels and where he was um, over the last year. But, yeah, I mean, uh, USC just has a footprint everywhere, and you're probably going to continue to see that, you know, even more now with uh, players transferring so often. Right, Joe. And I mean, I think Miles Brennan being like a sixth year senior made me think about JT Daniels. And I mean, I got to think that's going to be a record, right? With him starting for West Virginia, there is no way there's ever been another quarterback that has actually been the starting quarterback for three different D1 schools. I can't think of anybody offhand. I mean, I can think of plenty that have done it for two, but three is, is a new level. Um, and, you know, also kind of like Miles Brennan, JT Daniels had that weird oblique injury that kept him out for a long time. So maybe, you know, if you look at the, the karmic gods of football, maybe with Miles Brennan not making it, maybe that means that JT Daniels is finally going to have a season where we see all this untapped potential that we've been hearing about for the last seven years. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely been hearing it. All right. Uh, 
Joe, it doesn't just go to Miles Brennan being out at LSU on the injury front. Uh, Naylor, who is a wide receiver that everybody was really excited about, that was part of the really good Wyoming uh, Cowboys team last year, transferred to Texas and was joining uh, Ajay Hall, who was also a great Alabama receiver who transferred to Texas in what was going to be a really solid uh, Texas uh, wide receiving outfit. Naylor's out for the season, and Ajay Hall, he's gotten into a lot of trouble at Alabama, which is why Nick Saban showed him the door. I think he's gotten suspended at Texas now, too. So Texas uh, has taken a little bit of a hit in their wide receiver room in this uh, first week of uh, camp. Yeah, it, uh, unfortunate, you know, to see that. Um, I know that they were hoping, you know, to ha- have that momentum um, kind of build on uh, the momentum. I guess they also got in the offseason with uh, the Arch Manning uh, commitment a couple months ago. And, um, you know, I think you and I have probably shared the opinion until Texas, you know, really proves it to us. We're still going to have to see it kind of one step at a time. Yeah, Joe, I know there was one person in the AP poll that voted Texas number one. I got to assume that Matthew McConaughey somehow got a press uh <laughs> pass that he could be the voter in that because I don't really see how that works. Yeah. Um, that would be like if Auburn had one uh, vote and I had myself an AP pass, you probably know who did it. It was like, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that. Uh, I'm never going to say Texas is back until I see it on the field. I've fallen in that trap before and I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of that, you know, uh, the facade of the September Heisman, you, you just can't hand it out too early. Uh, and Joe of a team that has shown uh, that they can meet their expectations over and over again over the last decade. Uh, Clemson lost one of their excellent defensive linemen who is probably going to be a top 10 draft pick this year for the season. And what's a really sad story in defensive end Xavier Thomas being out for the season. That's going to be a huge blow for Clemson. Uh, I mean, of course, they're known for having just, you know, bevy of great defensive linemen. But this guy was a star, and with Clemson really having a lot of offensive struggles last season, it's going to be even more important than ever that their defense maintain that high level. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to, you know, be missing uh, these players. That's going to be a huge, um, you know, disappointment for them not having them available because you really felt that those, you know, great recruits from a couple of years ago, this is going to be their year to have a breakout year. But I will say that I've heard uh, people, you know uh, – on different shows talking about Clemson and just uh, I feel like almost unfairly uh, saying that they're just not going to be good anymore. And I am surprised when I hear that rhetoric, um, you know, I don't expect them to come out, you know, and compete for a playoff spot probably this year, but if they won 10 or 11 games, it wouldn't surprise me. And then finally, um, I'll probably talk about this more when we eventually get to them in the, you know, top 10 poll um, in a week or two on the show. But, I mean, if you're not going to consider Clemson, you know, as a top program right now, my point would be who is. I mean, how many teams have won two national titles, you know, in the last five years not named Alabama? And so I feel like, I mean, they won 10 games last year. They have to be in that conversation. Well, Joe, I mean, not only have they won two national championships, I think until last season they had been in every single college football playoff except for the first one. So I think – they, they've missed two college football playoffs. Alabama's missed one. And, I mean, they've been the mo- two most prolific programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, the, any rhetoric to me that's already considering them has been, I, I just I don't get it. No, and, I mean, 
you know, everybody like and, and myself included said that last season was Nick Saban's best coaching job to get Alabama in the national championship game. I think last season may have been Dabo Sweeney's best coaching job to get that team to 10 wins. I mean, their offense was completely anemic. They had a quarterback who was too busy signing Dr. Pepper deals than to throw a football. And I mean, with a with an offense that couldn't score with injuries all over the place, including to some of their best players like Skalski and Justin Ross. I mean, he gutted out 10 wins, and I thought it was quite impressive. And by the way, outside of Alabama beating Georgia, Clemson was the closest team that uh, even got had a chance to beat Georgia when they played them. Oh, that, that's a good point, too. So you think about that. I mean, how much of a different season would have been for Clemson if they could have mustered a little bit of offense and beat Georgia in a game where there were no offensive touchdowns scored? I mean, it was just the one pick six that Georgia had. Yeah, there, there's no telling, no telling. So, yeah, so I, I think that Clemson is, is, is here to stay, and I, I also do not buy the rhetoric that there has been. Uh, I think in most in the AP poll, they're number four. I, I don't know they're going to make a college football playoff, but uh, I would put them as among my favorites to be maybe in that four or five spot. Mm-hmm. I think so. All right, Joe, moving on to our top 25. At uh, 14, we have one of those quarterbacks we mentioned who is in the the class of uh, of uh, the class of untapped potential who transfer across the country, and we're talking about Bo Nix. Uh, you know, many many nicknames for him: Papa Bo, Bo Picks. Transfers from Auburn to Oregon, and Bo gets to take on a very familiar opponent for his first ever game for Oregon as they take on Georgia. And Joe, uh, Oregon's sitting here at number 14, new head coach and Dan Lanning, the former Georgia defensive coordinator. Uh, I think he, he inherits a very good football team from Mario Cristobal. I mean, really like he lost uh, he lost Travis Dye, the USC at running back. I guess he did, CJ Verdell went to the NFL. So they're going to be a little depleted at the running back position. But they had a very good defense last year. They always have uh, good O lines and D lines, and I think I think this is an Oregon team that Mario Cristobal have been saying before he took the Miami job, maybe one of his more talented ones. Going to be interested to see what they can do against Georgia. Oh, absolutely! I think this is the game I may be the most intrigued about in Week One. Um, you know, having the the Dan Lanning angle, you know, returning to coach against Georgia, uh, coincidentally his first game at Auburn or at Oregon, excuse me. And then having um, Bo Nix transferring from Auburn to Oregon, um, seeing how he looks in the Pac-12, um, bringing that SEC experience out west. And yeah, I think Oregon to me is just so fascinating this year as a program. Um, them and USC, just really intrigued to see how they look. Yeah, Joe, uh, you know, you think about it, Utah is, is deservedly so getting a lot of the publicity this year for the Pac-12. And then USC has got a lot of hype. But it wouldn't shock me at the end of the year if even in the first season of Dan Lanning, maybe Oregon's the team who comes out and wins the Pac-12. You know, they got to be hungry after last year, losing twice to, to Utah and knocking them out of the college football playoff. They've been so close. We mentioned that 2019 team that was really close. Uh, they always have really good players out there. They're able to recruit well on the West Coast. And I think that, you know, Dan Lanning, knowing the Georgia defense so well, Bo Nix having never beaten Georgia when he was at Auburn. There's going to be a lot of motivation for Oregon to play well in this game. 
And this may be one where when we get the final line uh, released, this could be a, uh, a Dan lock of the week in the first uh, week to take Oregon on the points in this one. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think Oregon has a chance to make it interesting. And they're a team, to me, you know, even if they drop this game week one, they could be in kind of the national conversation all year. I think the key for them will be, you know, installing a new coaching staff in year one, and then second, just avoiding that, you know, second loss of a trap game. That's right, Joe. And I think the important thing for this, for us to see where Oregon is, where they're going, is how competitive are they with Georgia. I mean, I think if they go out and they lose a game like 24 to 10, 31 to 17, I think that's a positive first step for Dan Lanning in this first game. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely we'll just want to see how they look more than the, the outcome. That's right. All right, Joe, moving on to our number 13 team. This is a team that we talked about Oregon's sadness and missteps lately and, and just, you know, what it could have should have so close. Oklahoma State, it's coming off a season where they were a half of a football away from making the college football playoff. That last series where they had, what, seven plays inside the – the one yard line for the chance to beat uh, beat uh, Baylor and didn't do it. One of the most excruciating things I've ever seen, especially for a coach in Mike Gundy, who I wanted so bad to get to see him have a chance to win a national championship. He's done so much for them. He's gotten them so close. And I mean, the two times that he had the teams that could do it in 2011 uh, you know, a, a kid who was a bad kicker made an amazing field goal for Iowa State to beat him. And then this year, their offense just couldn't quit shooting themselves in the foot against Baylor. And, I mean, I, I, that play runs through my mind over and over again where Spencer Sanders, it looked like he had a year to run at one yard and somehow he gets caught six inches short of the goal line. Yeah, yeah, that, that was cer certainly an excruciating loss as you articulated and the ironic thing um, in the regular season, both in 2011 and 2021, when OSU had their two best teams, arguably ever, um, they lost to Iowa State unexpectedly both times. And so for some reason, that's been a thorn to them, the Cyclones, but it seemed like everything was going to be fine if they could just just gotten through Baylor in the uh, Big 12 championship game. So, yeah, a lot of frustration there. But, you know, this year they returned some key players isn't, their quarterback, Sanders, Spencer Sanders, back for another year? Spencer Sanders is back for his 10th year being a college football quarterback. Huh. I mean, it seems like he's been there even longer than, than JT Daniels or Miles Brennan. I think he's probably also a sixth-year senior. Um, and he's someone that I've heard has really made some great progress, and I think they think he's going to end up being having a better season, a better passing season. And, you know, I would like to see them do well again. I know one thing that's going to be hard for Oklahoma State to get over is they're losing a lot of their great defensive linemen. I think Rodriguez and the other guys they had that were also on the great Oklahoma State wrestling team that they have that also played on the D-line, they're gone now. Um, but I think, you know, of course, they don't have the running backs. They don't have Chuba Hubbard or any of that kind of stuff anymore. But I think Oklahoma State's probably still going to be good. I mean, they never seem to have a really bad season with Mike Gundy. I think this is probably about right for them, Joe. I, I'm not seeing them right now in my mind as a team that's going to win the Big 12. I think they're losing too much. But maybe having that veteran presence at quarterback, they could uh, they can get over the hump. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think it'd also be important to them. You know, this is a transition year for Oklahoma, and so an opportunity for them to beat them in the rivalry game because, you know, historically they just don't beat Oklahoma, and I think that would be big for their program. That's right, Joe. I mean, that was such a great thing for them last year to, to get Lincoln Riley in their last chance against them uh, in a game that a lot of people said that Lincoln Riley had basically, you know, already accepted the USC job at that point. Sounded a little like sour grapes to me, but – that was an excellent game by Oklahoma State when they won that one. And I think they do have a chance at Oklahoma this year. Um, speaking of the Big 12, I think the biggest game that's going to tell us a lot about where Oklahoma State is next year is when they do take on Baylor. Baylor right now is listed as the Vegas favorite to win the Big 12. What a crazy sentence that is when you think about where Baylor's been with all their coaches. Um, and they go they – they play Baylor at Baylor on October 1st. Uh, Baylor is going to be our preseason number 10 team. And of course, Baylor's coming off a great season where they won the Big 12. They denied Oklahoma State that chance to make the college football playoff. And then Baylor went out and frankly beat up on a good old Miss team in, in the, you know, in the in the Sugar Bowl. And so this will be a, a real, you know, make it or break it game for both of them. But there's going to be a lot of fight in Oklahoma State and a lot of want to win this game after you know, such a heartbreaking loss that where Baylor denied them of the chance to make the CFB. Yeah, no, it's going to be a big test and a chance for redemption for Oklahoma State. On the Baylor side, though, you know, this has just been a program that just in every sport now, you know, the last few years has been really good. You know, won national championships in women's basketball, men's basketball, a Sugar Bowl victory in football. Uh, their baseball team has been in the College World Series before. I mean, this – program as a whole is doing something like similar to what I remember Florida doing like 10 or 15 years ago in all sports. That's right, Joe. I mean, uh, you know, I feel like the, the HGTV people are really, you know, spurring the growth that you're seeing in Baylor right now. Waco, Texas, apparently it's a really nice place now. And you're right, Baylor used to be one of the laughing stocks of the Big 12 in every sport. And now they're among the mainstays. I mean, you're right. Scott Drew, what he has the men's basketball program doing, winning a national championship, uh, being a frequent Final Four contender, the women's basketball program, winning a national championship. And then now this football program is right there on the cusp. This will be a great early season game. They'll tell us a lot. Absolutely. All right, Joe, moving on to our number 12 team. This, in my mind, has got to be the most overrated team in all of our top 25, and that is Lincoln Riley's USC Trojans. Sitting there at number 12, and in my mind, this is all because of Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. I mean, it, and I think they're great. I mean, I think Lincoln Riley is going to make USC a power again. I don't think there's any doubt about it. The guy is a brilliant offensive mind. He's an absolutely great head coach. Um but you can make the argument that a lot of what he did at Oklahoma was because Bob Stoops left him a fully locked and loaded cupboard. It was like if you went into a house, it was like if Emeril Lagasse sold you his house with all of his kitchen equipment in there and all the food in there, and you made some great meals. Well, of course you did. I mean, you got prime ribs sitting in the in the fridge. You've got excellent cookware. That's essentially what Lincoln Riley was left at Oklahoma. Now, he's coming to USC. It's not exactly the same deal. Clay Helton is leaving him with Bob Stoops left him in Oklahoma. Now, he's done a great job in the transfer pool. Went out and got Caleb Williams. We all know what Caleb Williams can do because we saw what he did at Oklahoma last year. Jordan Addison, excellent wide receiver from Pittsburgh. 
And so he may have the best quarterback in America and the best wide receiver in America. I would say for sure he probably has the best wide receiver in America in Jordan Addison. But does that address problems that you have on the O-line, the D-line? I, I don't know. I think Travis Dodd is also a really exciting running back. So he's got great specialty players. What worries me about USC is that they toughen up on the fronts. And that's where I think that this number 12 ranking is extremely, um, you know, egregiously overrated. Yeah, yeah. And building off of that point, I heard a Pac-12 uh, beat writer talking uh, recently on a show about the fact that USC would win any like seven on seven competition because of the talent at the skill position. But when it comes to the battle in the trenches in the depth of the roster, you just have a lot of questions. You know, Caleb Williams and Addison, they can't play defense. They can't block. They got to have somebody to block for them. And so there's definitely some questions there. And then also when you look at that top 25 poll that we're dissecting, I mean, they were four and eight last year. Like all these other teams in the top 25, their records last year measured up with these types of rankings. And so that that's the one thing that stands out to me too. Yeah, Joe, and I think that out of all of these transfers that I mentioned, maybe the most important one is going to be Travis Dye. Because if you can run the football in the Pac-12, that really sets you apart. There's not a lot of programs there that have had consistently good running backs. I mean, really, over the last 10 years or so, probably Oregon and Utah have been the ones that have been consistently able to run the football the most, and they've invariably been the most successful. And, of course, you saw UCLA starting to make a little bit of a comeback last year with their twin-headed monster of uh, Britton and, and Charbonnet. And so if if Travis Dye can be a successful running back and make it to where Caleb Williams is going to be not blitzed all the time and have some time to throw the football to great receivers like Addison, that's going to make a big difference. But that still doesn't change the fact, like what we said, we don't know much about their defense. It's pretty porous. And on the, both sides, the D-line and the O-line, I think they're definitely lacking in depth and talent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, as you alluded to earlier, is the program obviously in a much better spot? Yes. Do yeah. we expect them, you know, to contend under Lincoln Riley? Yes. But 2022 may be a little bit early to just expect them to go out there and, you know, win 11 games. I mean, Joe, in my mind, if I was going to put a team from Southern California or specifically from the city of Los Angeles at number 12, I'd be putting UCLA right there. I think UCLA is going to be excellent this year. They made a lot of strides last year, didn't quite get to where they wanted to, but you saw it. I mean, they beat up on an LSU team that wasn't, you know, your usual LSU team by any means, but they out-physicaled them. Uh, they beat USC handily. The problem that Chip Kelly had last year is they couldn't win the games they were supposed to, like Arizona State and Oregon State and, and Fresno State. But when they played the good teams, they showed up. And I think you look at a, a UCLA team that returns Charbonnet, that returns uh, Dorian uh, – uh, I want to say Doyle Greenbackham, but, uh, you know, DTR, uh, Doyle Thompson-Robinson, and some really solid tight ends – and I think if I were going to put a team from Los Angeles number 12, it'd be UCLA and not USC. They definitely uh, seem to have, you know, some good um, trademarks um, returning on the season. And uh, with your, uh, you know, looking, when you're looking at USC, you know, you're installing an entire new coaching staff, very similar to Oregon. But the difference with Oregon and USC 
is that Oregon was a great team last year. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier, like, when you're Lincoln Riley inheriting a Bob Stoops team that went 11-2 and two and, you know, been winning the Big 12 for, what, 10 years in a row. Uh, and, of course, you're going to take them to the college football playoff in your first season because you have Baker Mayfield returning for his third year as a starting quarterback. That's a much different situation than what he has at, at USC right now with Clay Helton having a season where essentially he was – you know, standing on the end of a, a plank on a pirate ship the entire season where you knew he was going to get fired. USC did everything they could to hire another coach the year before and basically told him, you're fired, we just haven't fired you yet. You know, mm-hmm. that's the team that he got. It, it, of course, people transferred out like nobody's business because of that situation. And Clay Helton was a dead man walking all year, and he had a roster of dead men walking. So and that's, what, that's what Lincoln Riley's getting, completely different situation. Mm-hmm. Precisely. All right, Joe, our number 11 team, uh, this could also be maybe the most overrated team. We're hearing all this hype about how USC is back, and I think they will be. This NC State team, I mean, people are like, you know, they're doing everything they can to convince me that NC State is a really solid football team this year, and they're going to compete with Clemson. And NC State is the real toast of the ACC. It's what I'm hearing like every day on college football radio. And I don't really know why. Uh, I know they have a really good quarterback in, in Devin Leary that uh, apparently is going to be a guy to watch out for this year. Um, NC State under Dave Doran has traditionally had a very solid defensive line and a, and a pretty good offensive line. But I can't really think of, uh, of any solid skill players that they have there. And I just haven't seen them do it. And in my mind, uh, this might be one where I go to Biloxi and I look at the over-under on their win total and take the under because they've never had people talk about them like this before. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the hunted versus the hunter. You just kind of wonder how they're going to react and respond to that. And it's like suddenly, you know, with uh, Pittsburgh, um, you know, losing some players like Kenny Pickett and Addison transfer, and even though they got Slovis, you know, Pittsburgh is obviously the defending champion, but most people aren't putting them necessarily at the top just yet of the conference. And then, like I told you earlier, there's that some criticism from people about Clemson. And so NC State's almost by default kind of put in that trendy uh, kind of uh, stratosphere. But, yeah, I, I'm just a little bit skeptical as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, they may end up ultimately having the best quarterback in the league now that Sam Hardman's injured but I'm going to need to see a little bit more. And Joe, I, mean, I think we're going to know everything we need to know about NC state when they travel to Clemson, because for you to go into death Valley and win is a yeoman's task. And not many people have done it. I mean, I think right now they have something like a 60 game win streak in death Valley. And I think you and I were talking before the show, I think Pittsburgh and what 2014 was the last team to come to Clemson and win. I mean, they have been just steady Eddie at home. Yeah, the last game they lost, uh, Pittsburgh beat them on like a last-second field goal. And so, you know, even that win took, you know, just an unbelievable, you know, game by Pittsburgh. Yeah, and, I mean, they're going to have to have an unbelievable performance to win there. And I kind of think that Clemson's going to be back this year. I, I know DJ uh, Uyangale had a terrible season last year. And there's a lot of talk that while he is penciling in as the starter this year, that Clemson's got a really good freshman that may come in and take over for him. Uh, you know, I think that Clemson with either quarterback is probably still going to be a top five team. 
And I right now I would still highly favor them to win the ACC. Uh, but maybe we'll see. If, if NC State can go into Clemson and win that game, they certainly are for real football team. Yeah, yeah, that would definitely make me, you know, convinced if they pulled that off. But it's just hard for me to imagine them, you know, with the expectations suddenly on their shoulder, them not going out and losing, you know, three or four games. I just kind of look for that to happen and probably starting at Clemson. That's what I think too, Joe. And something else that doesn't need to be undersold is the fact that they beat Clemson pretty handily last year. And you can ask Alabama how it is to try to beat Clemson two years in a row. You don't do it. I mean, I would be fascinated to look at the stat and see the last time that Clemson lost back-to-back games to an opponent anywhere. I bet it's been 10 years. I bet it's been a long time. I mean, uh, even even Auburn, we beat him in the 2010 season with Cam Newton. The very next time we played him was the the first game after we won the or the second game after we won the national championship in 2011. We were like 17 point favorites, and they beat us. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was early in the Dabo tenure. I mean, teams don't beat Dabo two times in a row very often, and I it may have never happened for all I know. And so that just – that seems like a very long shot for NC State to win that game and to actually be relevant this year. Right, right. You feel like they have to win that if they really want to win the ACC. Yeah, if you want to be what people are talking about you being, you have to win this game. And so until I see that, until it comes to October 2nd and you and I are talking about how NC State won that game, I don't really want to hear about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, you'd like to see NC State do it because you feel like they've been snake bit in so many sports lately. Like they, they should have gotten a chance to play for a baseball national championship, but COVID kept them out of it. They didn't even get to play in a nice bowl game last year after they had a good season. There's been a lot of things that have happened that have kind of like sidelined their programs, uh, but they have their chance this season. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, definitely due up. All right. And when we come back next week, we're going to talk about our top 10 teams. Uh, You can listen to our recaps of all the top 25 on Spotify over the last few episodes. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Dan and Joe Sports Show YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.